Let's pray together. Father, that song really in so many ways says it all. And so we echo just that you would open our hearts, our minds, the deepest places of our souls, and that you would pour in so that then through our lives you can be poured out for the blessing of others. We thank you for Jesus, and we thank you that we have this opportunity to be in your presence and to hear your voice. And so we pray that we would truly hear it now. We ask all this in the strong and loving name of Jesus Christ, our only Lord and Savior, and by the power of your Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen. I grew up in the country, and my mom made a whole lot of skillet cornbread growing up. And I like skillet cornbread so much so that I had to learn how to make it. And I'm not saying I make it as well as my mom, but I make it every now and then. And uh, Mary Gwen, our middle, uh, since about three years old, she likes it sometimes like I like, like it. She'll say, let's get some of that spicy stuff. And what she's talking about is get some of that Frank's wing sauce and pour it out and dip your cornbread in that. Now, that may not sound good to you, but where I come from, I think cornbread is, is its own food group. Some might even call it sacred. Uh, maybe you've heard somebody, and I, I understand they use this differently, but I've heard people say, I want a pone of cornbread. Now, sometimes that means that they want a, a skillet cornbread. Now, apparently that can refer sometimes to some other ways of cooking cornmeal or a cornbread-like uh, food. Now, what was interesting is that Clarence Jordan, who was responsible for the cotton patch version of the Bible, he translated the Bible to include sort of some references to 1950s, 1960s Georgia culture. And so this is how he put uh, the temptation of Jesus in Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was taken by the Spirit into the country to be given a test by the confuser. And after a 40-day fast, he was plenty hungry. Well, the confuser came around and said to him, So you're God's head man, huh? Then order these stones to become pones. But Jesus told him, the scriptures say, A man shall not live on pone alone, but on every word falling from the lips of God. Now, I had a, a good friend uh, when I was in the marching band at East Mississippi Community College, or what we called Scuba Tech, Brad McDill. And he had a, a, a spin on the cotton patch version, apparently, and it went like this. Man shall not live by bread alone. It must be cornbread. Now, as I mentioned, some, I think, think it's sacred. Had a friend in seminary named Charlie Shoemaker, and he preaches in the Kentucky Conference. And he was doing a, a student pastorate during seminary, so he had two churches. And he had people make the bread for communion. And he, I will say, Sister Susie, could you make the bread for communion this week? Got it. Well, like many Methodist churches, they had the white cloth over everything. And so he gets ready to, to start preparing the congregation for Holy Communion. And he pulls the white cloth back, and behold, cornbread for <laughs> communion. Now, uh, maybe you're familiar with Mark Lowry. He's a Christian comedian. And he said that, uh, he joked about some places in the United States just don't get it right. He says, some folks like to take the sugar out of the tea and put it in the cornbread. He said, you can't do that. If you put sugar in the cornbread, that's cake. It's not cornbread. But enough of the silliness for a minute. Sometimes when you want something like cornbread, nothing else will do. Now, let me ask this question. Is it possible, and this may sound a little odd, is it possible to no longer 
be spiritually thirsty and yet still be spiritually hungry. Well, that's where our story that uh, Jim, I mean, uh, Jim, I call him Jim all week. I'm calling you Jim. <laughs> We've been in class all week. Our brains are fried, okay? But Barry read the story. But that story is part of a, a larger series of events uh, in, in John chapter 4. And so when you go back to the beginning of chapter 4, you hear about Jesus was making disciples with, uh, with his disciples, and they were baptizing, and he heard that the Pharisees heard about it. And so they decide to move on. And so they decide to move, leave Judea in the southern part of Israel and go north back to Galilee. And it says in the passage that Jesus had to go through Samaria. You could literally say it was necessary for him to go through Samaria. That's literally, I think, the language behind that. That's kind of curious because apparently there, there were two routes you could take to go from where they were back to Galilee. However, the, the route through Samaria apparently was the shorter route. But Jews probably, I would guess in some instances, would pr prefer to take the long way around to keep away from those folks that they were not too fond of, the Samaritans. But it says Jesus had to go th through Samaria. And as they went on their way, they make a stop by a well. And it says Jesus is weary, and so he took a break there. And we learn later that his disciples went on into town to buy some food. We could say they went to Mama Hamill's, and they were going to maybe bring some to-go plates back. And this woman of Samaria comes out to the well. And when Jesus encounters her, Jesus immediately asks for a drink. Apparently, as the story goes along, it's obvious that he has no way of getting water out of the well, and she has a jar. And she's kind of shocked by this exchange. She goes, what are you, a Jew, doing asking me, a woman of Samaria, for something to drink? And John tells us, as a little aside, the Jews are not real fond of the Samaritans. And Jesus responds in a very provocative way. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked of him, and he would have given you living water. And she's like, basically, what are you talking about? And she's thinking he's talking about the well. Look, this well's deep, and you don't have anything to draw any water out. And ultimately, Jesus says to her, look, if you drink this water out of this well, you're going to be thirsty again. But if you drink the water that I give to you, you'll never thirst again. And in fact, it's going to be in you like a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And if you read the story on over into chapter 7, Jesus makes it plain what he's talking about here kind of in a sort of cryptic way. He's talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit, the very one who's going to make eternal life possible to bring us into that state. So Jim, it's interesting then, as he tells her this, she asked for it. She says, I want this living water, even though maybe she's not quite sure exactly what he's talking about. And Jesus then shifts the subject in an interesting direction. He begins to talk about sort of the intimate details of her life. And ultimately, he points to the fact that he knows about the, the brokenness and the failure that's in her life with her relationships. He, he says, hey, go find your husband. And she goes, hey, I don't have a husband. The one I've got now is not my husband. And, and he talks to her about the five before that that are not her husband. 
And what was interesting is then she moves from talking about him as simply a Jewish man that she goes, hey, you're a prophet. And she begins to talk to him about worship and where to worship and what the Samaritans think and what the Jews think. And then Jesus cuts to the chases and basically says, look, all of this talk doesn't matter because a new time is upon us where the Father is looking for those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And he goes on to talk with her, and then she says, you know what, the, the Messiah is going to come, and he's going to tell us all about that. And he basically, in so many words, says, hey, I'm the guy you're talking about. And at this point, the disciples come back on the scene, and they're kind of wondering what in the world's going on, and, and they kind of feel un- uncomfortable about this situation. Hey, uh, what's Jesus doing talking to this woman, this Samaritan woman? And as the conversation goes along, they kind of, they have their to-go boxes, right? And they're like, Rabbi, eat something. You can imagine them. We ate at Mama Hamill's this week at, at, on lunch break one day. You can see them pointing to the cornbread. And if Jesus were talking to us right here in, in those kind of trappings, he might say to us, boys and girls, I got cornbread to eat that y'all don't know nothing about. And he goes on to talk with them about what that really means. And he talks to them about how the bread that he has to eat is to do the will of the Father who sent him and to accomplish or complete his work. And he talks further about what that's going to mean for them. So listen again to a few of these verses. He says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. You know, what's interesting is that the woman had come to the point where she recognized, or she heard that Jesus was the Messiah. And yet, if you're someone who's reading the Gospel of John and you start back at the beginning, we've been given an inside scoop on the even deeper truth. Not only is Jesus the Messiah, but the Messiah is the very Son of God, the eternal Son of God, through whom the whole world was created. And so what that means then is that when Jesus shows up at this well and meets this woman, this type of woman with this kind of brokenness in her life, that this is nothing less than a personal visit by a personal God to the most unlikely place, to the most unlikely type of person. And it's precisely, not as an aside, not as something that she came looking for and begging for, something that he intended to offer her the very living water of eternal life. And I think that's probably exactly why John, in a very subtle way, says to us, it was necessary. He had to go to Samaria to show us exactly what kind of situations he's willing to enter into, to to see just how far and show us just how far he would go to offer people the true water that truly quenches our thirst and gives us true life. And then ultimately, then, that becomes an object lesson for then what our calling and vocation is after we've received that life. 
You know, I experienced the living water in a, in a powerful way in my life. And I'm not saying that you should judge your experience based on mine, but this is part of my story. This is my Samaritan woman story. I went off to East Mississippi Community College, you know, the infamous Last Chance You on Netflix. And I was looking forward to it. Grew up with a lot of responsibility on the farm, and I was excited about all the freedom I was going to have to live life, uh, to, to pursue some of the things more fully that I thought were going to make my life complete, make it satisfying. And so it was very much a life of pleasure, a life of ease, a life of getting by with as little as possible in classes. And thank the Lord, I still did well enough to, to do, do pretty good and get out of there and get some scholarship. But it's, it's almost a miracle. But, um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was, looking back, it's pretty rough. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a life of uh, food consumption that was out of control, alcohol and tobacco and lots of other things. And what was interesting is that after about a semester and a half of that mechanical bull ride, I found myself very, very empty. And I was sitting in, I call it my 301 Lauderdale Hall moment. That was, I lived in room 301 Lauderdale Hall on Scuba Campus. And I sat on the, on the bottom bunk of this bunk bed all alone. Some of my sweet baits had gone and done something that afternoon. And I was thinking, man, I'm miserable. I have no purpose in life. I'm I'm depressed. I don't know if I've ever truly been suicidal, but that would be one of the closest moments, I would say, to, to maybe even seriously thinking about that. And I had enough, just enough church background, just enough of some prayer life back in the years before that, that somehow I felt compelled to reach out to God. It's almost, it's almost crazy. I'm like, how did they even know to do that? And I found myself expressing some regret for the things I'd done and shedding some tears and man, let me tell you something. Jesus must have been on that bunk bed. Because like that, it was almost like having a dense fog immediately pulled off of my life. And I felt a peace I'd never felt in my life. And I was like, whoa, huh, this is incredible. Now, unfortunately, I didn't have enough background, enough people right there close to my life that I didn't immediately get my life all turned around. In fact, it was another six, eight months or so that I kept meandering down some of those same uh, paths. But it was, it was such a profound experience that when other people began to come in my life, I think as a gift of God, I was able to uh, see that th this, is, this is not the life I need to live. And there's, there's a, a Jesus who's calling my name, and I need to begin to follow him. But, you know, sometimes we stop there. And I think that's why Jesus talked about this bread business. Because he recognized that if we are not doing the will of God, and specifically, if we're not invested in reaching others with the good news that we have experienced, then there's going to be a nagging hunger in our souls. Yeah, I don't think Jesus went long hungry. I think he modeled for us feeling the call of God and the desires of the Father in his heart and then acting on them and satisfying that hunger. And that's what we're challenged to do. And so maybe there are some of you today, you've, you've quenched your thirst, but you find yourself hungry. But maybe that's because your Christian life is primarily about what's in it for you. Maybe you define it simply by coming here on Sunday morning, and that's about it. Or a prayer here or there. And Jesus is saying, I want to send you, just like the Father sent me, and just like he then sent the, 
the early apostles. And so we've got to embrace that. You know, I, I preached this sermon more or less about four years ago here. Let me tell you a story about how somebody realized that there was cornbread to be eaten, and they started eating it. There was a couple. They're no longer here. They moved to Texas, but Mark and June love. And I, I talked to June probably about four months after I preached this uh, sermon. I preached it, I think, in November. And she, I visited with her in the spring, and we were getting ready to go on the Honduras Salt and Light trip, and I was going to be going on my first international trip. That was the spring, summer 2015. And June wanted she and Mark to invest in uh, financially the mission. They were wanting to sponsor somebody, but I told her, I said, we've got everybody covered already, but how about you uh, buy some of the evangelistic supplies that we're going to... So she said, okay. And so they gave several hundred dollars, and I bought from Oriental Trading some of those necklaces you've probably seen. They have the wooden cross, and you put the colored beads on the necklace, and you use those colored beads to talk about the gospel. And so we did a pastor's training while we were down there, and we gave each of the pastors some of these uh, keychains and necklaces, and we talked through how you could share you know, who God is and, and what sin is and what that does to our relationship with God and on and on. And then we went out, and we were going to practice what we had learned. And so one of the pastors in the group was from a little community near Pina Blanca called Tepiquiladas. And we stopped at the little church where she helped pastor, and we prayed together. And we went out in groups of two or three or four people, and we went around in the community to visit homes. Now, that pastor that I mentioned that was part of that community, she met me and Bobby Blake and the, Han, uh, the Salt and Light directors. We were making our way down one of the paths, and she said, hey, go down here. I've got a sister that's an unbeliever, and uh, go see if you can talk to her. Well, that's about all the directions she gave us, and they didn't have street signs or numbers on the houses or anything like that, so we just kind of just start walking down the path. And we saw a woman in one of the yards, and we asked if we could come in, and she brought us in. Her name was Juanita. And her husband came in uh, and within a few minutes, and his name was Juan. And he kind of laughed and in broken English said, Little Johnny. That was <laughs> well, we were sitting there visiting, and he got his guitar out and played the song. And then this woman, probably about, I'd say about 40 to 45 years old, came in the house. It was the sister. <laughs> the very sister we were supposed to come see. Her name was Brenda. And we were sitting there. And we, we got our necklace out and began to share with them about how God was light and we were children of light. That's the yellow bead. And the black bead represents the sin that we chose to embrace and how that breaks our relationship with God. And the red bead stands for the, the gift of God's Son and how He shed His blood for us. And the green stands for the gift of new life in Christ and how we're called to grow in our faith. And the white bead stands for how Christ purifies us and the blue bead stands for baptism and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the purple bead is the color of royalty and reminds us that we're to not only accept Jesus as our Savior, but to accept him as our Lord and to follow him. And then I asked, have you received Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior? And Juan and Juanita shook their head like this. And Brenda shook her head like this. And I said, Brenda, do you want to see, receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And she shook her head, yes. And we prayed with her to receive Christ. And heard months later when the Salt and Light uh, director came back to visit the, the folks that support them here in the States in the fall, she said she's growing and she's vibrant in her faith. And it's an amazing thing to see. All that to say is that Mark and June love 
through their giving and through their prayers, along with the prayers of the congregation, participated in some folks going to Honduras to actually help somebody come to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and into eternal life. And it's important for us to recognize that we need to participate in that through all of our, our gifts, through our, our prayers, through our giving, through our relationships that we talk about when we talk about our presence, um, through our service, and yes, through our verbal witness. We talk about those elements of discipleship, and we need to engage all of those. But even a gift of money to buy some cheap little trinkets from Oriental Trading can be a part of sharing the good news of Jesus and bringing somebody into the kingdom of God. I share another little story because us parents in the room uh, can be a part of doing this with our kids. There was one Friday that I was off. I was, I was home uh, with Melissa and the girls, and Mary Gwen said, it's our middle, she's uh, going to be seven years old this next month. This was probably about three or four months ago. She said, I want to write some cards for people in the neighborhood. So we got our computer paper out, we folded it up, and you know, to be honest with you, I was a little reluctant. I was kind of wanting to do something else, but she said, I want to write for so-and-so. And she put something like, I really love you. Love, Mary Gwen. And she wrote it to about a half a dozen people. She said, I want to go carry them down to the, the people. I said, okay. And so we went out there, and I think we had Georgia in the stroller, and um, we went to those doors. And some of the people weren't even home. We left them on the, their welcome mat out front, and I'm thinking, oh, gosh, they're not even going to find them probably. But what was really powerful is that when we rolled the garage door up to get ready to go out, Mary Gwen said to me, Daddy, Jesus told me to do this. And I thought, whoa, okay, we better go do this then. And uh, <laughs> even though I'm not feeling like it. Uh. <laughs> well, we've met several widows in our neighborhood. And one of the, the, there's a couple of widows that live either right on our street or right at the end of our street. And I ran into one of those ladies um, a couple weeks later at the grocery store. And she, she told me, she said, I'd gotten a note, and she said, I was going through some health stuff. I think it was a gallstones or something. It was not, not a pleasant experience for a week or two there. And she said, when I got that note, I cried. And she, she, came, she was so moved, she came by the house, and she brought the girls a $25 Chick-fil-A gift card. Now, the moral of the story is if you do good, you get the Chick-fil-A gift card. Right? <laughs> no. Now, Miss Doris is a strong believer, so not like she, she was taking Jesus to her, but it's a parallel. You know, when you care for somebody and you, you act on that prompting in your heart, you might get a chance to touch somebody. And friends, we've got a lot of ways in which we can do that through this church. Well, we've talked about, Barry's mentioned this a number of times, we, we use, uh, to, to talk about our missions, we use the verse Acts 1-8, where Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And we kind of rephrase that as Madison, Metro, Mississippi, and more. In Madison, that's us talking about like right here in town or in the county. One of the important ways that we're going to be trying to do that is through a new Celebrate Recovery ministry, an opportunity to minister to people that have deep brokenness in their lives. And the reality is we all have brokenness in our lives. I had deep brokenness in my life. You heard that in my story. But there's going to be a leadership team meeting 
uh, not tomorrow night, but next Monday night, January the 21st at 6.30 in the multipurpose room in our new education building, second floor. Is God calling you to that? I know this is a, uh, this is a little bit of a stretch, but I, I met uh, a young dad who is a disabled Army veteran in his mid-30s. He and his wife and five kids just moved to the community pretty recently. And um, because of the, the war wounds he's, ex, he's ex, um, experienced, uh, he's not able to do what he would want to do and has done. I mean, he, he not only was he wounded once, but he went back to serve in Iraq after being significantly wounded. And then after he was wounded again and had many surgeries, he went into law enforcement. And he had to quit because the, the injuries he sustained were just catching up with him, and he physically could not do the kind of physical work that he was wanting to do and could do. And we've helped them some as a church, but the needs are pretty big. Maybe that speaks to your heart. You want to talk with me about that and maybe be involved in having some conversation and loving on this family and befriending them. You think out further abroad, Metro, we, we think about that as kind of the larger Jackson area, uh, a few counties around. Uh, we have classes that go about once a month down to Point Extra Park in Jackson with Why Not Now to share food and friendship an encouragement with homeless friends and other people that are just struggling if, uh, economically like many of us don't have to struggle. And so there's actually a class going today, New Covenant class apparently is going. Maybe you want to plug into that. You think about Mississippi. We've sent many teams out to serve with Delta Grace in the last year and a half, and we anticipate forming at least one intergenerational group this, this coming year. You take your kids on that. I mean, there's people that are take, have taken second and third graders to go and clean up and paint and you know, work on different things, and more importantly, to make those connections with the people at the Delta to encourage them and bless them. And then further out, more. You heard Corey mention that this afternoon, Rick Campbell's got an interest meeting for the team that's going to be going and serving with the Moody's at Jeremiah House. In two weeks, Phil Hinton's going to be hosting an interest meeting in the chapel at 2 o'clock on January the 27th to talk about the, the upcoming Salt and Light Honduras trip. Both of those would be fa fabulous ways to serve the people of Honduras and uh, to be going out beyond. But most importantly of all is the everyday connections you can make. I mean, it's just what Mary Gwen was doing. The people in your neighborhood, it's the people at your workplace, it's the people at school, uh, it's the people in those places of play and recreation where that's where you connect with these folks. And hey, sometimes it's the complete stranger at Kroger, as I've often had some encounters where I've been able to encourage some people, including a young man that has now moved on out of state uh, from Burma, Terrain, who used to work at the sushi bar. Struck up a conversation with him, and although he was not Christian, he was open to hearing about my story as we had lunch, my first time to eat sushi. I wasn't so sure about that, to be honest with you. Uh, but... Uh, I did it, and I had a chance to, to share with a guy in his early 20s who was here from Burma. Be open to that, wherever it may happen. And it may be that you have to have your routine shaken up a little bit, like mine had to be shaken up that day with Mary Gwen. Whatever it may be, though, be open to God's call. Let's pray together. Our Lord, thank you. We've been saying it, and may we not forget it. May it stay in our vocabulary and our hearts. You are God with us. And the disciples didn't fully understand it at the time, and the woman at Samaria, from Samaria sure didn't understand it at the beginning. 
that you are literally God with us in person, visiting an unlikely place and a most unlikely person to minister your grace, your saving grace to heal a heart, a life. And she, as soon as it began to dawn on her, began to share that with others. And it cascaded out into her community. And many people came to hear for themselves. And they believed. The gospel broke out in Samaria, of all places. And we thank you for that. May it teach us. Lord, help us first and foremost have our thirst quenched, receiving the gift of you and your spirit unto eternal life where you heal our relationship with you and you bring us back into fellowship with you and you put our lives back squarely into your purpose for us. But Lord, help us to know that if we're going to walk with you and live your purpose and do your will, that ultimately that's got to include concern for others and a willingness to be your witnesses wherever you might send us. So help that to be more than talk and a good sentiment, but help it to be reality this day in our everyday lives and then, Lord, however you would have us to serve through this congregation in some of these ad avenues, in Madison and Metro and Mississippi and more. Thank you, Lord. And we ask all of this through the power of your Holy Spirit and all God's children said, amen.